Uh, but we'll be in Ecclesiastes 2, 18 to 26. So to bring you up to speed, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is a, is a memoir of King Solomon in which he deals with the big questions of life. Uh, what is life all about? Where can I find meaning and satisfaction? What do I have to live for? Those are the kind of questions that Ecclesiastes is asking and also answers. Uh, so far in the memoir, Solomon, he calls himself the preacher, he hasn't found the answers to those questions. He's, he's tried what we would expect. He's tried a headlong pursuit of pleasure, and he wondered if that was where he could find life. Uh, he tried what we may call the track of wisdom and knowledge to see you know, whether or not he can skillfully uh, find a way to real joy. Uh, those things didn't work for him, and so uh, he got depressed. He's, at the end of the passage that we looked at last week, we kind of see him wondering, well, what's left for me? Uh, and he says, I hated my life uh, because he seemed to exhaust all the possibilities of how to find happiness, and none of it was working. Um, he just doesn't see where else to go. Well, that mood carries over into our passage today um, as he continues to wrestle with his sense of disappointment about life. However, what we're going to see, though, is that uh, something new enters into his thinking. Uh, the first real ray of hope uh, in his so far fruitless search for life, and it's a ray of hope for you and me as well. So we're, we're going to read Ecclesiastes 2, 18 to 26, and then pray for God's help to understand. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner... He has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray. We ask you, Lord, this morning to give us your perspective on the life that Solomon was so discouraged about. The life that we live, we live a life where we're affected by the same things he was, where we go after the same kind of hopes for joy that he did. 
but for a while he didn't see anything beyond what we can see under the sun. And we ask for the over the sun perspective today. We ask that you'd show us, Lord, what you showed him, what gave him a ray of hope here. We ask you to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus, our Savior, purchased those kind of answers and insights for us on the cross. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, you probably picked up on an oft-repeated word in this passage. It's the word toil. I count that word nine times, and it's related words work and labor another two times. This is a passage about toil. It's about work. Uh, Toil is a word for exhausting labor. Toiling away at something means you work hard and you work incessantly at it. Your toil takes a toll on you. (laughs) I was raised on a farm, so I have a vivid picture of toil. We sold hay, we grew hay, and we sold hay to farmers. And on a good day, when the hay was dry, you could work 12 hours um, gathering up bales of hay. Uh, Maybe you could get to 1,000 in one day. That would be a really good day. And the worst job that we had on the farm, I think, was the hay wagon. Because you're on this wagon, you're going round and round and round the field in the hot sun all day long. You're behind the tractor and the baler, so all the dust is coming back at you. You're always moving, you're always a little unstable, and bales are coming off the baler. So every 15 seconds, you're grabbing a 50-pound bale, and you're putting it somewhere. And you do that until you got about 115 of those on the trailer, and the last 10 or 15 or so, you're throwing them up over your head, While you're doing that, all the dust is raining down. It's getting into every crevice in your body. By the end of the day, you're like a coal miner. You're just caked with it, and you've lost about 10 pounds in sweat. Uh, That was a job that spells out the word toil (laughs) in my mind. I did that. My brothers and I did that. Um, But, you know, toil doesn't have to be manual labor. Uh, Toil is working hard at anything. Whether you're doing that in front of a computer screen or in front of a cash register or whether it's with a bunch of kids or if it's in a shop, it's whatever you do basically to earn a living or to maintain your life, including mowing the lawn, tracking your finances, doing laundry. That takes up most of our waking moments in life. This is what you're going to be doing from the time that you're old enough to do chores until the day you retire, if you ever retire. Uh, Unless you're the son or daughter of a billionaire um, who doesn't really care if you work or not, but I don't think that's any of us. That's not most people. Um, Which is why the preacher's mind turns toward work as he's getting depressed about his existence. Even though he was a billionaire in today's currency, he was a worker. This is a guy who ruled a nation. He was a king. This is a guy who built infrastructure. He had decisions to make. He was always working. He was always doing things. And so when he thinks about his life and how he can't find anything really meaningful about it, nothing truly satisfying, his mind turns to work because that's that's the most time-consuming thing that his life consists of. And so he says, I hated all my toil with which I toil under the sun. Um, But the good news is he doesn't stay there. 
he actually in this passage uh, finds something very positive to say about work later on. So what we're going to do is we're going to think through this issue of toil or work with him and see what it is that he learned. Because most likely, many of you, probably at one point or another, have said something like, I hate my job. (laughs) Um, Or if you haven't said that yet, at some point you probably will. You're going to ask the question the preacher asks in verse 22, what has a man for all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? You're going to ask that question. You're going to spend a good part of your life wondering if you're in the right job. Or you're going to be looking for a better job, or you're looking for ways to get away from your job uh, and from all the maintenance of life. This passage tells us how to think about work and how to find real enjoyment in it. And as you probably expect me to say, it has everything to do with Jesus, because it really does. Let's walk through the passage. Here's the first point. It's the trouble with work. The trouble with work. Work is troublesome. My toil in which I toil under the sun, he calls it. This This is work considered from a purely earthbound, under-the-sun perspective, just laboring in this material world without any reference to God. If you think about work only from that perspective, it's troubling. Here's a list of what's wrong with work, according to verses 18 to 23. First, you leave everything you worked for to somebody else. You leave everything you worked for to somebody else. Verse 18, I must leave it to the man who will come after me. You've heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. (laughs) Or or the other phrase, there are no U-Haul trailers attached to hearses. Right? That's what he's saying. I work and I work all my life. I accomplish things. I make things. I accumulate possessions. And then I leave everything behind when I die. Absolutely everything I accomplish in life is for this life only. And it will all end up in somebody else's hands who didn't work for it. That's going to happen to everything you do also. And everything I do. Every dollar you've managed to save. Uh, Your house, your car, your memorabilia your clothes in your closet, your boxes in your garage, every file you've ever ever created, every picture you've ever taken is all going to end up in somebody else's hands if it outlasts you. And here's what's really hard about that. Second, the person who gets all your stuff might be a fool. (laughs) That's what he says. Who knows whether he will be a wise, wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is a grievous thought to him. In other words, the person who gets your stuff might just waste it all or ruin it. Uh, I was writing this message in my office, so I'm looking around at like my stuff. And in my office, there's books, lots and lots. I've got hundreds of books that I've accumulated over years. And a lot of them have my, my notes in them, you know, stuff that like, wow, I've got to remember that. And I write it in the margins. And, and I've got lots of books that have my stuff added to it. And, and I've got a book that's got the, the autograph of one of my heroes 
Jerry Bridges. He signed the, the Gospel for Real Life for me, so I've got that one in there. Um, I've even got some of my old college textbooks um, because I, I want at least a little bit of a remembrance of six years of my life devoted to becoming a chemical engineer. <laughs> I did that once. <laughs> There's a book. I remember it. I did that once. So I've got all this stuff on my shelf. It re represents years. It represents things that were very impacting to my life. And now I've got to imagine all of that goes to some other guy. And what is he going to do with it? He might set all of it out on the curb to get rained on while it's waiting for the dump truck to come and get it. He doesn't care about it. It doesn't make any difference to him, the notes. He's never going to read them. He's not even interested in the books. And so that's what I'm thinking Solomon is dealing with. He's saying, all of my life kind of comes down to, at least visibly, it comes down to what I've accomplished and what I've accumulated. And then all of a sudden, somebody's going to look at that and go, meh. <laughs> Who cares? And throw it out in the dumpster. He says, I can't handle that. <clears throat> And he says, that can happen to you. Everything you've worked for can go to a fool. Who knows, he says. This also is vanity. And then there's one more thing that's wrong with work, according to the preacher, which is that it's really hard. <laughs> it's just really hard. Uh, he uses the word toil, so exhausting labor, maybe not every day. Maybe it's even a job you like, but as the years go by, as every Monday keeps showing up, and every Monday morning is that inbox full of stuff to do, it starts to take a toll. <laughs> it wearies you. It's hard work. I think about a mom or a child care worker with two, three, and four-year-olds. You know, I can't spend an entire day with that demographic. <laughs> I used to be able to for a while, <laughs> but only with Mary <laughs> being taken care of mostly. <laughs> But let's say you do that. Let's say you're a mom or a child care worker, and that's who you've got all day long every day. And let's say you take, you take that out to 15 and 20 years of caring for people. That's toil. That's hard work. Even if you love them, even if you love doing it, it's hard. It's hard to do that. Toil is like that. Uh, he uses the word striving of heart in verse 22. So in other words, it's not just physical. Uh, it involves your mind, it involves your emotions, your hopes, and your dreams. You care about the outcome of your work. You're invested in it. Uh, it means something to you, and, and there's a heart that's involved. It's not just about getting a paycheck. It, it's about something that, that is valuable. You think about your work a lot. And he says the worker, um, his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. <laughs> uh, vexation means being annoyed, frustrated, worried. Uh, have you ever been stressed out about work? About your work? That's what he's saying. It's a vexation. There's sorrow. It, it's hard. Um, you probably experienced this. He, he even says, even in the night, his heart does not rest. Have you ever had a sleepless night? tossing and turning because you're thinking about what's waiting for you tomorrow. Uh, who's there? What they're going to say to you? You know, you might be worried, am I going to have a job by the end of the week? Or can I even do this? And, oh, I hate going back there. Uh, at night, these things are going through your head about your work. Uh, that's what it can be like. Work is 
hard. That's why we want vacations. That's why we want to retire, right? We want to get away from it because of all these troubles. So here's the summary of work from the purely earthbound, under-the-sun perspective. You're going to work all your life, and it's going to be hard. (laughs) Everything you produce and accumulate will end up belonging to somebody else, and they might completely ruin it all. Welcome to the world of work. (laughs) Have a nice day. You can see why he says in verse 20, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Well, at this point, you're probably having one of two reactions to this. Either you're nodding your heads in agreement, you're saying, yeah, I get that. (laughs) Or you could be somewhat skeptical. You might think he's being overly pessimistic because... You happen to like your job, or at least you aren't in despair over it. So you wonder if you should really listen to this guy. Well, hang on, because he hasn't told the whole story yet. There's more to say about work, and it actually comes as quite a shock in verse 24, where he says basically this, work is supposed to be enjoyed. Work is supposed to be enjoyed. Verse 24 There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Now, that makes me want to scratch my head a little bit. I remember coming across this and I'm thinking, wait a minute, didn't you just say that you hate your toil? (laughs) And, And now you're saying there's nothing better than to find enjoyment in your toil. You seem conflicted. Uh, All of a sudden, a total shift here. This is a positive thing. You're actually saying that God has given something. He's given us toil, enjoyment in it. Uh, Where is that coming from? Well, it comes from him remembering something that he forgot. It comes from finally remembering God in the equation. Finally remembering that under the sun is not all that there is. There's a God over the sun who has a different perspective of work than than he did at the moment. Enjoyment in your toil is from the hand of God. All of a sudden, he's become aware of this. He's he's only mentioned God one time in this whole book so far, and it wasn't in so positive a light. Uh, He said it's it's an unhappy business that God has given to the sons of men uh, back in chapter 1, that we have to have this life of meaningless activity. But now all of a sudden, he's turned, he's thinking, wait a minute, God... God isn't a spoil sport. God isn't a joy killer. God actually, God actually wants us to enjoy things. He even, he even wants us to enjoy our toil, even though it's hard. He's starting to remember something. Uh, wait a minute. This is from God's hand. This isn't all vanity. And what he's probably thinking of is the book of Genesis. Um, as a king, Solomon had access to the scriptures. In fact, according to Deuteronomy 17, he was supposed to write out his own copy of Moses' law, first five books. Um, He is a guy who should know what the the account of creation was in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And so what I think, he's thinking back to that, and he's got this picture in his mind of the first days of the earth. So listen to the storyline of Genesis 1 and 2. I'll just pick a few verses out here and there. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. So we start with God before there's even an earth. Genesis 2, 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Then he goes back and he recounts the last day of creation before God rested. Verse 7 in chapter 2. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So how did this world get started? God worked (laughs) in creating the universe through a word, but the scripture calls it his work. He was doing something, the work of creation. Everything that there is that exists, every molecule originated from God who worked to form what we are in right now. And then his last work, the creation of man, his crowning achievement, what does he give him to do? Work. He puts him in a garden to work it and to keep it. What's the connection? God is a worker and he's made us workers. To work is to be in his image. Dolphins don't do that. Man does. Women, women do that. We work because God, our Creator, works. It's part of being in His image. We're continuing God's own activity of working, of doing things, of making things. Uh, Adam and Eve have the privilege of taking God's amazing creation. They're in this amazing place. Its resources and potential are untapped. And they have the privilege of finding out what you can do with this. (laughs) What kind of cool things can come out of this this earth that he's created. Um, And so in doing that, they're acting in the image of God. They're doing God-like things. Work originates with God who made us fellow workers. That, That makes it noble. And originally, it was enjoyable. Because after creating everything, including man and his job to do, God saw everything he made and behold, it was very good. Work wasn't an unhappy business for Adam and Eve. It wasn't vanity. It wasn't a vexation. There was no sorrow in their work. At least in theory, they weren't even going to have to leave it to somebody else because there was a tree of life in the garden which if they had eaten it, they would have lived forever. So they could have also not only had happy work, but they could have kept the fruits of it forever. So we have to ask ourselves, what happened to work? (laughs) It used to be good. At least at first it was good. What happened to it? Why is it so filled with trouble? Why do we lose sleep over, over it now? Why do we get stressed out? Why do we hate our jobs sometimes? The answer is in Genesis also. It was in the introduction of sin into the world. It's when man and his wife decided to stop listening to God and do their own thing. And they ate from a tree they weren't supposed to eat from, and they became sinners against God. And God, who is just, gave them a punishment for that, which we're still feeling the effects of today. Let me read Genesis 3, 17-19. This is where it all started. This is where work got troublesome. 
To Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, sh you shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there it is. Why is work so much trouble? Because of sin. Originally Adam's sin, but we've added to it with our own refusal to listen to God. Sin made work sorrowful. If you're not going to recognize the God who made us as workers in His image, then we're going to find out what it is like to work without God. Without God's favor. And that is trouble. That's thorns. That's pain. That's the sweat of your face. That's you returning to the dust where you came from and leaving it all to somebody else. That's the penalty for sin. That's why on most days, something happens that makes your work harder than it needs to be. <laughs> your car breaks down, and now you have to deal with that and your work. Uh, your computer freezes up. You're hitting the keys and nothing is happening, and I need what's in there. Your budget gets slashed. You have to go to work sick. Your customers are mean. Your product doesn't sell. That's all the result of man deciding to work under the sun without God. It's the, it's the end result of all of that. It wasn't meant to be that way. We were supposed to find enjoyment in our work like Adam and Eve did. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil, this is from the hand of God. So how do we get it back? <laughs> how can we find enjoyment in our work today? Let's see how to enjoy work. That's the last point. How to enjoy work. So as, as we've already touched on, God makes all the difference. To find enjoyment in your toil is from the hand of God. Verse 25 continues, For apart from him, who can eat or drink or have enjoyment? So he's speaking specifically there about enjoyment in one's toil. Who can have that without God, he says. Answer, you can't. You can't have enjoyment in your toil apart from God. Without God, you can't have it in this world that's broken by sin. Without God, you can't find enjoyment in your toil. Now, immediately, there might be an objection to that. Because there are people who don't believe in God, who don't claim any allegiance to the Christian faith, who enjoy their work. Um, when I was working as a scientist, I knew a lot of unhappy workers, for sure. But there were some who really seemed to enjoy what they were doing, and they were rewarded for it, and they, they weren't in despair over it. Um, so how do we account for that if he's saying, you can't find enjoyment in your toil apart from God? Here's how I think we understand that. You can enjoy your work on any given day, even for a long time, without acknowledging God. 
but that's only if you ignore the deeper issues and the ultimate problems with work that the preacher is talking about. Ignorance is bliss. Uh, you can enjoy work if you don't think too much about how when you die, you will leave everything you've ever achieved to somebody else. You can enjoy work if you don't think about the possibility that all of it is going to be squandered and wasted after you die. You can enjoy work on the days when everything is going well, but sooner or later, the reality of work in a broken world is going to disappoint you. Sooner or later, you're going to have to face the fact that it can't give you ultimate and permanent happiness. Sooner or later, you're going to have to admit it wasn't enough to give your life any meaning. What Solomon is saying is that there's a way to find enjoyment in your work even though you know that you have to leave it all to somebody else. Even though they might be a fool and completely trash it even on the days where it's affected by pain and trouble. You can have enjoyment in your work today knowing all of its limitations and its frustrations. But the only way you can do that is with God. So how does that work? How does God make the difference? Well, it's by a change of perspective. It's by seeing work from the over-the-sun perspective that God provides. I think that's what verse 26 is telling us. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So there's a kind of person described as the one who pleases God who receives wisdom and knowledge and joy. And we'll say more about who that person is a little later, but for now, suffice to say, this is a person who doesn't try to live without God. This is a person who recognizes God as their creator, and that person receives wisdom and knowledge and joy. And since the topic at hand is toil beneath the sun, I take that to mean this is wisdom and knowledge from God to see things differently so that it produces joy here under the sun. So let me describe what I think are two components of that wisdom and knowledge that God gives to the one who pleases him that results in joy. And I think the first one is this. It's to see work as good and not evil. See work as good, not evil. Work does involve a lot of trouble. So we might think, well, work itself is the trouble. <laughs> but it isn't. God made work to be good. As we saw in Genesis, God's a worker, and he gave man work to do as, as image bearers. When we work, we're doing God-like things. We're doing something that has meaning. Work is noble. It's good because it's what God himself is doing and what he's given us to do. What work has he given us to do? Well, anything that's consistent with God's revealed will in the Bible. That could be work that he gives us to do. So, for example, God created the world, brought forth all these amazing plants and minerals and atmosphere and planets, galaxies. He created all that stuff. There's this amazing resource that he's made, 
And he's bringing good things forth from it, plants and animals and so forth. So we can say, well, agriculture, that's something that's like that. That's what they were doing in the garden. They were working it. They were keeping it. They were growing things. Agriculture is good. Everything that's related to feeding mankind is a part of that, even if you're a waitress at a restaurant. What about manufacturing? That's taking things out of the earth and making something out of it. So you got sand, and somehow that could convert it over into silicon, which goes into a chip, which goes into your phone and into your computer. But it takes manufacturing to do all that. That's, that's part of the work God's given us to do. God's a life giver. He breathed into man and he gave him life. So medical industry reflects that. Devoted to saving life, improving life. It's, it's a good work. Raising children and helping the needy. Those are also life-giving kinds of things to do. Science, when it's devoted to discovering something that can improve life, is good, like MRI machines, solar panels, 3D printers. Uh, that's all good. That's work that reflect uh, reflects the image of God in us. Now, there is work that's not good. It's not good in itself because it's not consistent with the will of God. So if your work is to distribute porn... That's not good work. Shouldn't be doing it. If your work is to create meth, shouldn't be doing it. There is work that's not good, but if your work is consistent with the will of God, it is good. It's noble. It's godlike, and therefore it's not meaningless. That perspective can keep you from despairing over your work. We're so trained in our culture to think about the jobs that really matter are the ones that have impact, the ones that change the world, the ones that are glamorous and high-paying and everybody knows about it. And we undervalue just the, the faithful labor of taking care of kids or feeding somebody or, or putting things into the computer. We undervalue that stuff because we think, well, it's the glamorous stuff, it's the high-paying stuff. That's all that matters. But no, if, you're, if God's given you a minimum wage job to do, but that's what he's given you to do, and you're doing that faithfully, that's godlike. That's to be a faithful image bearer that makes it valuable in and of itself. Whether or not anybody notices, God knows because he gave it to you to do it. It's from the hand of God, and you can find enjoyment in that. So the first perspective is, you see the work is good, it's not evil. Here's the second over-the-sun perspective that we have to have, which is to see work as good but not ultimate. See work as good but not ultimate. In other words, work can give you a lot of enjoyment, that's true, but even that will disappoint in the end if that's all that there is. But real permanent joy comes from the Lord and from His reward for those who work for Him. Now, I take that from Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever you do, Paul says, whether you are selling chicken sandwiches or you write code 
or you change diapers, or you make art, or you answer phones, or you move packages, whatever you do, you are to do it as for the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. So to work for the Lord is to consciously recognize that Jesus Christ is your ultimate employer. You don't just work for a boss or a supervisor or even for yourself if it's your own business. The Lord is over you and he's over your work. He has a reason for you being where you are doing the work you're doing. You're working for him. And you want that because he has a really great compensation package. Paul says, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. What inheritance is that? Well, it's what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You will inherit a new earth in the life to come when Jesus returns and makes all things new. You will live in a world that's free from all the sorrow and the vexation and the sleepless nights that you experience in your work on this earth. You walk in a new earth, in a new body, where everything you do, including work, will be enjoyable forever. There will be no more thorns and thistles and pain ruining the pleasure of your endeavors. Your, your inheritance is to serve the Lord in gladness forever. That's what the ultimate employer Jesus has waiting for all those who serve him, who live their lives consciously recognizing him as Lord. It reminds me of a plaque that I saw in my aunt's house a long time ago. Uh, it said, working for the Lord doesn't pay much, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. That's cool. That's memorable. I mean, that was 30 years ago I saw that. It still sticks in there. Uh, but it's true. It's true. You might have a job that doesn't pay much. You might work with difficult people. You might not like what you do. But take heart. Those who serve the Lord have a reward, have an inheritance. And it's in the bank. <laughs> That's already been assigned to your account. <laughs> so day by day, you might not be getting much that looks like pay, <laughs> reward. But the Lord wants you to say, but remember, you've got $100 billion in the bank. It's there for you, and you're going to get to use every cent. <laughs> Even if you're making good money, and you generally enjoy your work, it's not your work that can satisfy your soul. It's the Lord Christ. He's the master, the gracious master that's preparing a place for you, a place of eternal rest, a place where even work is rest and where you'll experience joy forever. So the only question is whether or not that's what you will experience. And that's the question I want to close with. We saw in verse 26 that it is the one who pleases him to whom God has given this over-the-sun perspective, this wisdom and, and knowledge and joy in your toil. If you please God, you will receive joy in your toil in this world and joy in the world to come. So how do you know if you please God? Right? And the answer is, you please God if you are joined to His Son Jesus who pleases God. 
God the Father said to Jesus at his baptism in the Jordan River, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. To be a Christian is to be united to Christ and therefore to be looked upon with the same favor that God looks with upon Christ. If he's pleased with Christ, he's pleased with you because you are in Christ. You're considered a son just as Christ is. And Paul said in Galatians 3.26, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Faith in Jesus as the Savior who died on the cross for your sins is how you can be sure you please God. It's not about your works, although works will follow. They will be the evidence. But you please God by being in Christ who pleases God. That's apart from your works. And to that person, he gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. So have you put your faith in Christ? Are you one who's pleasing to God? There's a warning in the passage if that's not you. Solomon ends with a warning. If you plan to ignore God and seek enjoyment without God, it's the last part of verse 26. To the sinner, God has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So simply put, if you try to have enjoyment apart from God, you will continue on in a life of vanity. You will gather and you will collect, but you will lose everything. While those who please God will receive everything. It's just what Jesus said in the parable of the ten minas in Luke 19, 26. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If you have Jesus, more will be given to you. But if you don't have Jesus, whatever you have will be taken away. And those who please God will receive all the inheritance, but you will receive nothing except punishment. Your work will really gain you nothing in the end, but it doesn't have to be that way. Trust in Jesus as a Savior and serve the Lord and receive the inheritance of enjoying your work this week. Already we can do that. And enjoy eternal life and eternal joy to come. And I pray that that is how it will be for all of us. We can enjoy work because we have a loving Savior who has taken the sting out. It's good. It's good to work. It's part of being in the image of God. And there's a great reward for this life of suffering and toil for those who are pleasing to God in Jesus Christ. So may it be so this week. May it reflect how we, how we approach our jobs. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that there's an answer for everything in your word all the pain, all the sleepless nights, the stress that we experience has an answer. And the answer is in Christ who has given us genuine life in Him, in His person, and in the place that He's preparing for us that can't be taken away. Lord, give us eyes to see that. Help us to see beyond Monday morning and what's waiting for us on Monday morning and to see Jesus sitting on the throne and us with Him there and all that he has for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.